Hey, Biggs here. So this is a new podcast for the Not Safer Network. It's called A Cosmic Void. Me and Jeremiah Perez go through movies that were very influential, and we go by them beat by beat. We talk about the special effects and how they were made. We talk about the themes in every movie. We talk about what it was influenced by, what it influences, and a lot of other things. We pretty much lay out anything that you would want to know about a movie that's out there. In addition to this episode on the feed right now, we have The Thing, episode one with Stan Lazuski of Terminal nation we also got evil dead 2 with darren michael from muscle lizard entertainment and we've got first blood coming up as well as hereditary with tom smith of the acacia strain and his podcast flick filled land and we've got alien upcoming with dr aaron donaldson we've got a lot of other great guests scheduled we're actually scheduled out for the next couple of months so there's going to be a lot of fun people on there talking about a lot of fun movies and a lot of fun dialogue so check it out hit subscribe on a cosmic void i am become death the destroyer of worlds. You're entering a cosmic void. Hey, how's it going, Jeremiah? Great. How are you doing, Alex? I'm doing pretty good. Glad to be here on the second episode recorded right. out of order. Yeah, that first episode <laughs> with Stan was killer. I am like, oh, oof, Maron. It was great. Yeah, I'm presuming it is. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. Me as well. Well, I can see in the future. I actually have, uh, what is it from Game of Thrones? Uh, Green Eye Vision. I can't remember what it's called. Yeah, I think it's Green Eyed Vision. <laughs> yeah, it's I Green Eyed Vision. I can is. see in the future. I don't like Brad Stark. So let's go through the, the spoiler-free premise here in case you want to check out the movie before you listen to it. A tech giant invites a programmer and is employed to a sprawling estate in the middle of nowhere. The programmer is tasked with giving a Turing test to a robot to find out if he can demonstrate human intelligence. However, everything is not as it appears. So now we're entering the spoiler zone. So the director of this was Alex Garland. Yeah, and he actually was one of the writers of one of my like all-time favorite movies when I was a kid. Uh, he wrote 28 Days Later and Sunshine. And Sunshine is such a like beautiful movie, and it has uh, Cillian Murphy uh, from 28 Days Later, too. And I actually found out Oscar Isaac actually tried to... Uh, be a part of that movie like he tried to uh audition i think for Cillian murphy's uh part and um uh he's also done dread uh he did annihilation when i did i did yes, not that, know I that think, i believe that was his follow-up to yeah Mark that that is and he did devs which yes. i have been waiting for it to finish which i think it already has and i yeah to, a while ago <laughs> yeah i wanted to do a whole run through of that because that is Great. And then uh, the cast, we have uh, Domin Hall uh, Gleason, which is Caleb Smith, a programmer of the company. And uh, he's the one doing the set turn test. Uh, he was most notable in Harry Potter. And um, he had another really good joint that just came some, out. Some Star Wars movies. He was in those. Kind of oh, a the, reunion no. between him and Oscar Isaac. That's right. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> that is right. He was in that. I forgot. 
I hated his character, so I like never paid attention I loved, to his I character. Lo- one of the few things I loved about Rise of Skywalker was him turning heel. I just thought that was hilarious and very right. in character with him. <laughs> I know, right? Um, we got Oscar Isaac, who plays Nathan Bateman, uh, the CEO of what is it, Blue Book? And Alicia Alec or Alicia Vikander, who plays Ava, who was also a ballet uh, dancer, and uh, Sonia Mizuno, who Sonia Mizuno, who also <laughs> was a ballet dancer, and uh, Corey Johnson, who was the helicopter pilot, and Corey Johnson, he was in the the original Hellboy movie with um, Ron Perlman. He was like his best buddy. Okay, and that, I, that's why, like, when I looked up who the cast was, and I was like. Oh, that's so funny that it's that guy because he's such a minor role, but it's like, I I love that guy. He's one of those that guys. Yeah, he's definitely (laughs) one of those that guys. That's pretty much the cast right there. Everybody else does it. I mean, honestly, even the helicopter pilot doesn't really matter. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's got like a line, maybe two. I almost wanted to add because the the information I looked up, I found some information about like, there are like three or four other people that like play the the robots you see for like five seconds, but it's yeah. And there's some people at the Blue Book Company. Yeah, that it's, it's almost at. not even worth like noting because it's like they're there for like a second. Yeah. So let's get into the synopsis here. We're just gonna walk through the story, interjecting whenever we feel like it. Caleb Smith, a programmer for Blue Book, which is basically Google when you boil it down. Yeah. It's sort of a Google mix with Elon Musk kind of vibe, right? Yeah. Well, what I took from it was that he basically made Google when he was 13 and then he kind of was just like, he was already extremely into coding at a very young age. So he just kind of like made this thing that blew everyone away, like Google. And then everyone's using it and he acquires all this money and then he starts moving those assets into things that he finds interesting, which is like why in a certain part of the movie, he talks about how if he didn't do it, someone else was going to yes. make artificial he's intelligence. A, he's a futurist in a way, <clears throat> like much like, say, Tony Stark. And now, Elon Man Musk movies. is a really good uh, example as well, but uh, I just found it interesting that he's kind of almost like – Steve Jobs or like uh, – Yeah, he's uh, kind of an amalgamation of, yeah. of your industrial giants yeah. right now. Yeah, yeah, Caleb Smith found out he won a week's visit at the home of the CEO, Nathan Bateman. So that's Oscar Isaac. He's helicoptered out in the middle of the wilderness. He approaches a panel near the door when a feminine voice beckons him. He's suddenly blinded as the panel flashes, takes his picture, and spits out a key card. And I want to talk about this scene because it seems like a very little scene. And when you rewatch it, you realize that this scene is a metaphor for everything that's going to happen in this movie. He has no idea what's going on. He wanders over to it. It suddenly blindsides him. And then he's basically given the key to this whole thing that he doesn't understand what he's walking into. Correct. And even beyond that, uh, the door locks right as he goes in. Yes. Which is no, a, that's a, it's dude. a neat little nod that I saw Sin. when I did my rewatch where I was like, that is so like on point. Cause it's, it happens several times where they call out the entire plot. That's not the first time that they do that. Yeah. It's, that is a great observation that yeah. I didn't even think yeah, it the moment. He, Cause it's like, it's like, uh, and I also just want to talk a little about the location. It was filmed in Norway. Uh, the house that they filmed in, actually two houses about 30 miles apart that were made by the same dude was one the exterior and one the interior no they literally uh filmed the, one side of the house and yeah on the, the other side because they were both a little too small but one had like a viewing of like a river and then the other one had a really good like landscape kind of view so they wanted to use both and 
genius, beautiful landscapes. I mean, one of my favorite aspects of this movie is that it's a very independent movie at its core because it's there's not a lot that they put into like the the landscape or anything. I mean, all their all the visual stuff is mostly like put into Ava, and a lot of it's just natural landscape. The location just feels ancient and uh, untouched by modern society. While in the heart of the woods is this very sophisticated like house that is housing uh, the most advanced thing in the world, you know. So it's it's very interesting these the di- the dynamic of where they're at in the world. You it's know? kind of a good metaphor too because he's lost in the middle of the woods. He has yeah. no idea what's really going on, Folks, and he goes uh, into this house in the middle of nowhere. And by the way. They're in the middle of nowhere, so how the hell do you get out? Like, they have a helicopter mm-hmm. that it only even picks up people way away from the house. He has to, like, trek down a river to get there. So you know that anybody who's there having trouble, it's not like the cops are just going to come. Mm-hmm. You know? And uh, you might not have caught this, but he the, the helicopter pilot had to sign the NDA to – he can't, like, take him all the way through. He can only take him to that point specifically because no one can know about it. And uh, like an NDA, it's like I had to sign one one time when I worked up in Big Sky. I had signed like, one as well. Yeah, yeah. and it's, it's a real thing, dude, that you can get sued for very hard. So uh, so I did it when I was on the Jimmy Kimmel show. I what? was in the background That's of a cool. sketch. Yeah, and uh, it's not a story for here, but at least not right now. But I was a little bit scared of it. And then I went on a podcast and blabbed about everything that happened a week before it premiered. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so you can tell how seriously I took yeah, the idea. I, I it was for to, fucking Jimmy Kimmel. Dude. I listened to a podcast where a dude uh, signed one and he did the same thing and then he got fired. <laughs> and it was, it was really funny, but it really fits in with the show and who they are as people. So it was. Yeah, it's kinda, it's kinda nobody to fire me. Yeah, so yeah, right. I work at a cafe. My boss is not firing me for talking <laughs> about Jimmy Kimmel. Right. So Caleb meets Nathan, who immediately puts him back on his heels. He says that he's nervous and let's get past the whole thing. Then he strong arms him into signing the NDA, as we mm. were just and discussing. I, I, w- I want to talk a little bit about Nathan. This man is uh, Oscar Isaac, and I, I picked up a very great vibe from him. Uh, if you notice, he's just shaved all his hair. He's not someone that cares about his appearance, you know. I think if you look at it from a standpoint, he had this huge beard. He probably had long hair and he was like, oh, shit, there's people coming over. I better just, you know, be clean cut. This dude, the, the, from the moment you meet him, he is boxing hard. If you look at his knuckles when he's talking to Caleb, they're bloody. Like, I don't know if you know anything about boxing, but you're not supposed to hit a bare knuckle or like, yeah. you know, you're supposed to wear pads so you don't fuck up your knuckles. This this dude is intimidating, smart, rich, cold, vain, and realistic. He cares very little about the opinion of others. He's constantly, you know, doing his own thing. He doesn't care about what Caleb thinks. He doesn't care about what Ava thinks. He does what he wants because this is his house and he's been cut off from the world for so long that he has no interest in hearing other people's thoughts other than basically blackballing fucking Caleb into, you know, falling in love with the robot. He's constantly just twisting Caleb's words and the the instance I I really loved is uh Caleb went off about a thing about how uh creation is the history of gods and then in uh, another scene later Nathan's like it's it's like how you said I am a god and it's like no that is not what he said at all he's he's very vain about yeah he himself. twists it to make it about himself yeah yeah he's a very uh what is the word I'm looking for a um narcissist for sure for sure a Gee, narcissist. do we have any examples of narcissists? 
synthesis and giant positions of power right, right. now. It's very, very unrealistic. Uh, absolutely. I guess when this airs, maybe we'll find out. Right. You guys know before we know right now. Right. He has a, a very intense alcohol problem that uh, blindsides him entirely. And it, it, it constantly leads him to make fatal mistakes, which is ultimately like his downfall. And uh, in my notes here, I have a highlighted and enlarged a big ass disco dance maniac. Oh, uh, yeah. One of my favorite scenes is when Caleb's trying to go off on him and he's like, you tore up her her note. And he's like, well, watch me tear up this dance floor. And he's all like dancing with uh, Kyoko, I think. Uh, it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie. Yeah. And it's certainly the most gift scene of the movie. I'll right? be honest. When I saw the trailer, that is the scene that really I was like, I gotta see this movie. I got to be honest, I did not see the trailer. I saw it when it first went to on demand or something because it was nominated for an Oscar. Mm, I saw and the so theaters. it was one of the years I was watching every single thing that was nominated and talked about on a podcast. And I had no idea what it was about. I knew Oscar Isaac was in it. I hardly recognized him. And I was just blown away. But let's get back into the movie. So Nathan explains that Caleb's key card will unlock areas he's allowed in and lock him out of the areas he's not. He informs Caleb that he's built a robot with AI named Ava and wants him to figure out whether Ava can think and has consciousness. Ava's in a big room with see-through glass monitored by cameras. Caleb walks past her to do the Turing test and is amazed. At one point, he asks her what she'd like to do. She said she'd like to go to the traffic intersection and watch. Later, Caleb asks Nathan how he designed her. Nathan says he doesn't really care about the test. He wants to know how he feels about her. So right away, we're already finding he gets basically bullied into signing an NDA. Then he gets bullied into doing a Turing test. Which and is then, not even really like the... Uh, I looked into what a genuine Turing test is. And what they're doing is a modified version of it that would not be accurate at all. And Nathan is manipulating Caleb basically into falling in love with Ava. Everything that he's telling Nathan, he keeps pulling the rug out from him. And he's like, I don't care about this thing I told you to do. I actually am interested in this. And he does this continuously. He's throughout the whole movie. I mean, honestly. uh... So that night, Caleb turns on the TV in his room and sees Ava's being monitored. The room suddenly turns red and he's trapped inside it. The lights flick off and he's able to leave. The next day, he asks Nathan about it and he tells him it was a power outage. Whenever the power cuts, all the doors automatically lock as a safety precaution. So something I do want to talk about, the color red... We're going to see this in future movies that we do because it's a consistent thing in movies. Red is impulsive. It's a, it's a color that means danger, right? Blood. Like they put stop signs in red because people see red and they suddenly are jolted by it. There was this train light historically that people would leap in front of and commit suicide all the time. And they switched the color to like blue to stop. And people stop committing suicide there. That's wild. Yeah. And it's because there's a psychological impact with red. So when they're Mm -hmm. like doing the red, they want you to panic when they're playing it out in the movie. And it works because he's in this middle of nowhere. He's locked into this room. He knows he's locked in. His card won't work. And he knows his card won't work for certain circumstances. And then everything's bathed in red. Like it's total panic. And you're kind of panicked watching it. It's really smart just bathing everything in red in that. Right. And it lets you know what's going on immediately, visually, without having to have a conversation every single time of, I did a power outage, right? And one thing I really want to bring up on if you're going to rewatch this movie or and if or if this is like your, I'm interested about what it's about and uh, you know I want to watch it, really listen to the soundtrack. It's step for step 
follows the movie in a way that enhances the way you watch the movie, which is such a, a surreal feeling and uh just, it just it just makes the movie so much better. I have bought the soundtrack on vinyl. I have it on Spotify. I have a hard copy on CD of it. Like it is an outrageously good soundtrack. The great work that Ben Salisbury and Geoff Barrow did from the moment when you see Ava and uh, they have a an innocent, almost childlike kind of chime kind of playing almost like uh, uh if you have a child and you have one of those things above their crib and it's playing like music and it, it very much so reflects an innocence and uh purity of Ava that it's like almost everything in the movie and the soundtrack is trying to convince you of her innocence and purity, which is such an interesting kind of take on that movie that everything is deceiving you in that movie. Well, and this ties into the feminist yeah. stuff that is rolling through this movie. Which Big ass will, fact. But one thing that men tend to do with women is make them like a child. Yeah. Right. And so when you hear this music, it puts you into a place of like where you start to feel bad for her and start yeah. to think like, oh, she's this innocent little yeah. thing, right? Yeah. It's definitely playing with that. Good soundtracks are manipulative. Yeah, absolutely. And they manipulate you into feeling what you're seeing with the images. And sometimes they take an image that's the opposite of what you hear and they make you feel a different way about it. Yeah. Yeah, good soundtrack it, it goes great. a long way. Um, yeah, absolutely. Caleb returns to interview Ava. And is clearly attracted to her. She seems to be attracted to him as well. A power outage occurs again. She tells him that she caused the outages. Then she tells him that he shouldn't trust Nathan. The power comes back on and they pretend to have been talking about something else. So this is another thing that is warning you to not trust Nathan, right? Mm -hmm. Like we've gotten little clues visually with sounds, with lights, with him getting locked out of things. But this is the first time it's explicitly said you should not trust this guy. And then right back to it when they're eating and he's like, so once you learn they're eating sushi and uh this is a very good cool scene that if you know anything about chef knives you will know that cutting sushi is a very fucking hard thing and you need something extremely sharp to cut a knife so they show this knife that is very sharp that Kyoko is fucking she's chopping up sushi while they're talking little scene we'll come back to later of why yeah. that's important but um good call. Uh, Nathan is again dismissing what Caleb is trying to tell him in this mm -hmm. scene. And he is openly telling him what he wants to know. And, you know, it's just another just cycle of manipulation and uh, being absolutely rude to yeah. Caleb. And we see him acting cruel to yeah. Kyoko as well, who at this point is introduced as a maid who only speaks Japanese. Yeah. And he openly treats her like a fucking slave, which is extremely fucked up. Caleb interviews Ava again, and she causes another outage. She worries that he will destroy her if she doesn't pass the test. Later, Caleb asks Nathan about it, and he says she's one of a line and not the last. Eventually, he will upload her mind to improve it, destroying her memories in the process. And I really want to interject on this moment, because this is absolutely my favorite scene in the movie, which uh, re I rewatched it three times. 
And this is what I have found to be my favorite scene. The, this scene, the scene after, and then the following scene. So there's like three moments that happen that are just genius where ultimately, I think Caleb knows that it's like, you know, he probably is going to have to. I mean, she's self-aware to the point of where she's manipulating Caleb. Caleb's not yet too tied in to where he could see it. Well, he's he, he never really does see it until it's too late. Yeah. Well, I mean, but at this point, I, I you know, he does ask Nathan because, I mean, if he didn't, you know, he would have been just already in. So I feel like him asking it is, you know, him still not 100% in yet until I think he he's asks. asking Nathan because he's gauging Nathan, not because he's gauging Ava. Mm, Does a, that make sense? Yeah, no, that's an interesting it, look. But it's uh, looking at Nathan's character. It's not looking at her in any real way, which is why he's completely suckered in at the end of the movie. Right. But this this moment where he's talking to Nathan and then he's like, you know, Caleb kind of looks off into the distance and is like, you feel sorry for her, don't you? You should feel sorry for yourself. They're going to be digging up our bones like we dig up dinosaurs in Africa one day. And they're going to realize that we were this these cruel beings with cruel, crude words and horrible tools. I really took this moment because uh, that's why my, my opening phrase, which is my favorite quote of the movie, is uh, I am become death, the destroyer of worlds. I think Nathan ultimately realizes something that he really has. And he kind of touched on it a little bit where he's like, if I didn't do it, someone else was going to do it and it's going to happen. It's inevitable. He ultimately realizes that he is the downfall of all of human society because of making this artificial being that is superior to him in almost every instance. He is what is wrong ultimately with humans. And that, that that next scene, he goes off, he gets blackout drunk, and he's talking about how humankind is flawed and how, you know, we're not an evil thing, but we're flawed and there's righteousness and truth within our people. And he's babbling off about, like, basically being, uh, realizing what Caleb calling him out in the sense of being like, you know, you, you created a bomb. You know, yeah. th this it's, is he's become Dr. Frankenstein yeah. in a way. He's ushered this monster into the world. Yeah, and, which you cannot turn off. And, yeah. it, and it will only grow. And, uh, you know, it, it is a, not a horrible thing, but it is a spark of change that will affect many, many, many people. And uh, and they reference Oppenheimer around yeah. there who invented yeah, the, the, atom, the bomb, atom bomb, right? Which is like, it's a very genius scene. Uh, and then seeing him completely destroyed by the realization of that. He is like the person who made the atom bomb in but a sense. Also, it really shakes Caleb too because yeah. what does Caleb do? He goes back to his room uh -huh. and he starts cutting open his arm. Like he takes a razor and just slices open his arm because he's making mm -hmm. sure that, that he's, he's fucking real. Because yes, it's because like, he's been fucked with it every stage. Yeah, of and this movie. I, I mean, at that point, he is completely lost his entire view of, of being realistic towards the situation. I mean, he he is completely lost in a fantasy that is not real he's having fantasies about ava and them being together and one of the interviews caleb talks about a thing called uh i forget what theory it is but it's basically about someone who was born in a cave who has never seen color before and uh how they learned everything about different colors and you know about what they look like but they never knew what it felt like
and how that was an interesting thing to experience. And Ava interpreted this as her being in that room is without living without color and how being in the outside or experiencing life elsewhere is her living in color and that that is what what true consciousness and true uh being uh what is it sentient sentient is is understanding color and not reading it and this is also tying into the feminist yeah thread through this movie a man she, locking she up is, women yeah she is a kept woman yeah she is a kept woman uh especially uh if you look at uh kyoko uh right after this scene i mean you've seen nathan yell at her and you don't really know her role yet in this place other than like you know uh being abused, being, being a slave. Uh, yeah, and then sexually abused too, you mm-hmm. know, and a, and a very horrible – it's very Westworld-like, which is what I, – I feel like I liked Westworld more because I watched this movie. It's interesting. I saw – well, I saw the movie of Westworld first, which mm-hmm. – I, I had no exposure to Westworld. Yeah, I know. Most people have it. And it was a classic, but it's also – And Future World. And- when you look at like the first season of Westworld, for example, it pales in comparison. They just updated it in such a smart way. Mm-hmm. And then I saw this movie and they all fit the themes, but they do it in different ways, mm-hmm. right? Caleb meets with Ava and she cuts the power – he tells her that Nathan will wipe her memory. He says that he'll get Nathan very drunk again and change the security system to open the doors during the power failures instead of locking them. He tells her to create an outage at 10 o'clock and they can escape together, trapping Nathan. And also prior to this scene, uh, Nathan has been getting... Ex- oh, we kind of skipped a really yeah, important Nathan, part. Nathan has been getting extremely drunk. Which and, we talked about. And yeah, we talked about when he cut open yeah, his arm and stuff. But also he stole like, Nathan's like Right before that, though, uh, he just stole his card and walks in and he goes to his computer. Because he already helped him. He helps him in his bed twice. Mm-hmm. So the first time, you know, he sees his room. He sees the computer. He sees all the little cabinets. And then the second night, he goes into the computer room and he starts looking at it and he starts seeing Nathan basically um, going through different prototypes of the robots that lead up to Ava, which he is horrified. He is absolutely horrified by the fact that Caleb has made something and it is like trying to break out. And it's like, you know, there's an instance where one of them, I think the model's name is Jade. And She's like, let me out. Why won't you let me go? And he's she like, no. Beats her hands until they break off. Yeah, and I want to. I want to say something about this scene. There is nothing wrong with that scene, other than the fact that, like, if you if you look at it out of context, it's fucked up that he's like holding women against their will. But if you look at it scientifically, like these are things, they're robots that he's made. He's testing them. They're prototypes. There is nothing truly to be horrified about that other than it's him looking at his past takes. He's not doing anything wrong other than like interviewing them and putting them together and talking to them. But he's created things that have sentience and he's locked them away. And he's clearly being cruel to them. So I do feel like there is something wrong with that. This is where you get into that moral gray area, right? Like it's but that's, that's to the, play God is pretty much wrong. Like when, absolutely. You know? Absolutely. It is and it's wrong. because of reasons like this. Like you create this thing that can think and feel and then you have to lock it away for safety. Mm-hmm. But you're locking away this thing that should be out. Like it's just wrong. I don't know any other way to look at it. 
but also it was wrong to create the thing in the first yeah, place. But that's why- and this is what he does is he keeps creating them, keeps like doing a new model and doing a new model and like destroying the previous one. All, all I'll say is that it is definitely wrong that he's created life, but I, I do not think it is wrong to to not want it to be out there without figuring out the, you know, without figuring out the, the problems of like the mechanics or like, you know, like Ava probably should have been destroyed and repurposed. And like, you know, he should have had another cycle of it. Like I disagree. Once you give something sentience, it's just, it's cruelty at that point. That is a, a being and it's akin to murder. I mean, that's, so this is what's interesting about this movie is you can get different reads off of it. Yeah. But I feel like with him, he's such a narcissist and truly does not care about another being other than himself. Like from everything we've seen in this movie, but he see, just does not this care is- about something anything great, or anybody else. This is something great that I picked up from. It's about a uh, humankind versus a human nature kind of thing of, you know, you have one side of it where there are people involved and then there are other people that have like a true human kindness and a human nature. Like Caleb genuinely wants to help Ava because she is a being. And then you have Nathan, who is a human who is cold and just wants to make this sentient being, but keep perfecting it. He doesn't want to stop. You know, ultimately you're right. It is wrong. It is wrong to create life. And, but I also see the other side of that. The problem is, is that he created the situation where he has to do that. Yeah. Yeah. It is all wrong, but I, I just, I don't think it is wrong to not want it out in the world. Um, no, I understand that, but should have been considered before he started. Yeah, for sure. That's the thing. That's that's where it comes in. It's and I'm he, saying he's wrong from starting down this right. road to begin with, you know. So, uh seeing the Caleb seeing uh Nathan put the robots through uh, you know, these in quotations horrific experiences, like it's totally broken his mind in a way that he feels totally that he needs to help Ava escape uh, to the point of where, you know, he's going to do whatever it takes, you know, which is like, I don't know. I I don't think I would fall that way with it, you know? Yeah. Well, basically he gets up the next morning and Nathan reminds him he's going to be leaving soon. Caleb goes to toast him with vodka and Nathan says that he's been drinking too much. And so he's going to get it under control starting then. Mm -hmm. He also shows Caleb that since he couldn't monitor Ava during the outages, he snuck out a battery powered camera near the room. And prior to that, he calls him out about him cutting himself and totally. I I think he does it right after that. No, it's before. It's right before. Like he shows him the video. And then I think this is where he starts to tell him that Ava's been messing with his mind and starts to let him know this whole thing and that this was all planned, that like he wanted to find out if she could formulate a plan and manipulate him to get out. Well, Caleb had brought up something interesting uh, during one of the first two uh, interviews, which is uh, Caleb realizes that she has sexuality. And he's like, why did you give her sexuality? Why did you make her a female you could have just made it a gray box why did you need to make it you know a sexual thing and he's like i don't know man because sexuality is fun dude and then you know he comes up with this idea of like are did you give her sexuality to blindside me 
from like like why do you really want him here? Because he's already picking up yeah. on the fact that he's not telling him things. He's finally waking up fully to Nathan's manipulations but of him. Right, right as that is happening, he is falling into someone else's hand of yep. manipulation. Yep. So it's he's just getting blindsided left and right. And, it, it's horrible. And let's go a little bit further when we're talking about Nathan's intentions. He also gave him sexuality because yeah. he wanted to fuck it. Yeah. Let's yeah, be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He absolutely that wanted that to be a thing. I mean. And uh, Kyoko is a robot if we didn't expressly say that earlier. Yeah. When Nathan goes into the room to see the computer, he runs into Kyoko. And also prior to that in the dance scene, uh, what that happens when uh, Nathan rips up the uh, letter and then he's like, I'm going to tear up this dance floor. ba ba do ba Uh he goes up to Kyoko and he's like, where's Nathan? And he puts his hands on her shoulders and she starts undressing. He's like, no, no, stop, stop, stop. Mm-hmm. Because he has abused her to the point of where she thinks that any man that puts hands on her means it's a sexual time, you know, because that's her function at this point. You know, she doesn't talk. She makes food and then she fucks, which is fucking horrible hyper masculinity uh, embedded into a being. It's so slight. Anytime anything happens, Kyoko is listening. Like when they're talking about when she's cutting the uh, the sushi, she vaguely is kind of just like peering over at what they're saying. She's constantly listening to what they're saying. There's a scene where being treated like she's not a person, not in the room. Yeah, but and but she, she is, is a person. person and she and is yeah. in the room. Yeah, and uh, there's a scene where Nathan is uh, watching Caleb and Ava interact. And she's just listening with her eyes open while she's laying on the bed. You know, she is constantly someone who is being looked over, but is ultimately, honestly, a main character. Like, yeah, you know, I I would say she's like a supporting character in this, but she's an important supporting. She's a very important character because she is the one that, you know, sets Ava free basically while because, you know, ultimately what happens is um, Nathan for the last instance, because he does be like, hey, you know, prior, like when, when they're in the kitchen and he's like they're drinking, they're like, hey, man, I know you cut yourself and I know you're kind of going off the deep end. I'm going to let it slide, but, you know, you need to check yourself. I have something you need to see. And then he shows him the footage. Right. And then he's like, you fucking bastard. And he's like, no, listen to what I'm saying. And then I hit this camera, check out this dance move. And then he's like, he's like, I love how fucking evil Nathan is. And then he's He's like, the worst. He's like, oh yeah, check out this dance move. And he just keeps pressing play, pause, play, pause to like make him do this little disco move. And, um, he basically is like, Hey man, you were right. It's a magician trick. Cause Caleb had this whole thing earlier in the movie where he was like, are you making sexuality to be a magic trick to basically kind of distract me from the true purpose? And he's like, you're right. That is absolutely what I'm doing. And it worked. The turn. This is like the moment of where, you know, he got what he wanted. Nathan got what he wanted. The, yeah. the true and test uh, worked. Caleb is so mind fucked. But he pushed Caleb a little too far, which is why all this happens. And I think. Well, I don't think it's that he pushed him too far. He pushed him exactly how far he wanted to be. He just, in his narcissism, did not think Caleb could outthink him. When he was blacked out, Nathan already switched out everything and then said stuff while they were being recorded. And one thing I want to say. So he must have known on some level the camera was there, right? Because he had already done it and then said that plan to her. Yeah, so basically the power goes out, the doors reverse, 
Nathan's locked in, correct? No. So, oh uh, no, no. And then, and what, then, what happens is Kyoko, uh, she pulls up to Ava. They have an intimate scene, and I'm gonna get into something real cool that I found out later. Uh, they have an intimate moment together, and then they basically they make a ruse, and they're going to basically both blindside Nathan. Basically, Nathan figures out that everyone's like the doors are unlocked, and he's like, "Oh fuck." knocks caleb the fuck out he figures it out because caleb straight up tells him yeah he <laughs> knocks caleb the fuck out and he's gonna go handle this shit with his fucking dumbbell and yep handle it like a big dumb male who's yeah just like gonna a big beat his dumb way bitch. through it and yep. he goes up nathan grabs a dumbbell ava runs up on him and he's you know he's trying to stop ava and he's like go back to your room go back to your room you need to stop you need to stop this and then this is my favorite part of the soundtrack. This is the first, when I first saw it, this whole scene is what made me in love with the soundtrack. There's this whole crazy uh, song going on. And right at the peak of the song, Kyoko uses that fucking sushi knife and stabs it right into his back. And it is just a clean cut. Yeah, it just goes right seamless. in like, like that knife through butter. Yeah, right? it is fucking fucked up. Nathan just looks back at her and smacks her fucking mouth with the dumbbell, just breaking her jaw. Kyoko dies. And then, you know, when his back is turned... Ava no, pulls. he turns around and no. Ava's got the knife and puts it right into his front. Yeah, yeah. It also seamlessly just yeah. goes right into him. And this is like one of my favorite uh, Oscar Isaac scenes where he just looks at Ava, turns his back, and he's like, okay. okay. He literally is like, okay. Oh, oh, I'll be honest, man. Just, that's exactly how I would probably act too because what do you fucking do? Yeah. You and, can't call anybody. You know you're fucking dead. Like yeah. if you're not dying right there. You're going to be dead very soon. Right. Like, that knife fucked. just went right into your back, right into your front. Nobody's going to help you in that house. Yeah. Yeah. You're fucked. And, uh, you know, he just lies down and he dies. And then there's this whole scene where um, Ava goes back to Caleb. Caleb wakes up and she – so early- She doesn't really go back to him. She goes – she finds skin on well, the- well, No, she does say something to him because there was this whole thing where when they first interact, she's like, close your eyes. Because she's showing that she's this shy, naive person. Yeah, she's trying in, one, to, like, in one of the interviews, she, she's... Yeah, and she puts on the hair and she puts on the dress so she can, like, pretend to be, like, a person. And then she basically does that. And it's kind of weird that she puts on the Asian person's skin because they're different skin colors. Yeah. And then it kind of blends. But do you know what but the white chick yes, is? Yes, I, I watched that and I was like, how the fuck does that blend? That could not blend. Do you know, do you know what the white chick's name is? Uh, the uh, Alicia. No, 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 no. I mean the, the other uh, white robot. No. Her name's Katya. She's a Russian doll, which I thought was a little interesting, funny okay. thing. I don't know. Cause, you know, Russian doll. Huh? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. So like, but uh, yeah, uh, it, it's so weird that they chose that to be a thing. Uh, she puts on the skin. You have to wonder: is there intentionality in that, or was that just not thinking about it? I I don't know. I don't. I think let's not overread yeah, this. I, I don't think it was well thought out. If, I if neither of us either. got a message from and, it, uh, you know. It, but I noticed that should not blend. <laughs> yeah, that should not blend. Uh, and then in this scene, Caleb is just watching like. In awe, completely in love, head over heels, just waiting for her to say anything. And she fucking leaves the room without even glancing at him. And he's fucking locked in there. 
And it is the most cold-hearted scene in the whole movie because he has fought for her tooth and nail and fucking fought his own mind to a certain extent. And she's just like, what? She doesn't even look at him. She just leaves. Yep. Like, And you know what? I want to come back to that when we get into themes. But she now leaves. She goes up to the helicopter pilot. She says a couple words to him. We don't hear it. And he flies her off. I That's the one flaw in the movie where I'm like, this dude is so on lockdown. He's probably not going to fly her realistically. But whatever. She figures it out. Uh, Nathan's rich. And what do rich white men like most? What? Fucking drugs and hookers, right? right. And he's but already how, someone. How did she get there? He's probably the only one ferreting people. I don't know. It, like, I think it's a slight mm-hmm. flaw. And I think that's why they don't show uh, the conversation. I'll be honest. I think Alex Garland does not let us hear that conversation. Do you want to know what he's the sure is? what to do what so i i don't remember what's i think it's this scene but the deleted scene is very interesting right when that happens it goes to a, a pov scene where you see how oh Ava yes sees, i heard about this and yeah. it's like all these crazy colors and she's seeing like sonar or something and the way she speaks is through vibrations and it's not really like the way she understands like uh, and i heard alex garland talk about the scene and he cut it because what he was trying to do was show that she has systems and that she feels and that she comprehends things but he felt like the way he did the visuals people were reading it as she's just this cold robot Mm-hmm. So he cut it out. It's interesting, though, because it, it adds this whole thing of, like, she's perceiving existence way differently than everyone else is. Mm-hmm. What if what if that is what makes her cold? What if, what if her perceiving things differently is what makes her separate from us, but is, like, influencing her in a different kind of way, you know? I, I thought it was very interesting. Right, I'm going to jump right back into that in a little bit. So basically, she goes to an unknown city. She goes to a traffic intersection. She does exactly what she said she was going to do, right? If you watch the scene, you're looking through glass while you're looking at her, which is a little nod to through the looking glass. And I interpreted the whole last scene as uh, Alice entering Wonderland because she she picks this dress. It's a very peculiar white dress. She's walking around in the woods, just following a river. And then she finds a door, if you will, to the mainland where she enters wonderland right which is everything she's ever wanted right Interesting. and the last scene is you're looking through a window it's through glass that you see her and then she disappears and if you watch a lot of the scenes with ava you're looking through glass to yeah. see her it's very subtle but yeah, the way it, right. certain lights reflect off of each other is how you can tell and i i thought that was a very interesting uh, yeah little, i think you're right i didn't in. pick that up and but. uh i only picked it up because uh caleb is also like this weird dude that's just quoting all of this shit all the time and that's one of the quotes he says is is he pulling a lewis carroll well well nathan's like how do you feel about her and he's like oh man through the looking glass and he's like Ah. quotes with this guy and it's uh it's very and a very interesting thing that they 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 give you everything with what caleb it's a really well written script yeah so let's talk about the effects a little bit here so i didn't have a ton on here there's a lot of effect shots but it's kind of the same thing which is just Mm -hmm. showing a robot so they were all done in post-production there was no green screens there was Mm -hmm. no tracking marks all the scenes with eva were 
rotoscoped onto her important features like her hands and face. Everything else was digitally painted out, and then they replaced the background. So that's where you see the robotic stuff on her. And, they and did it, that all in a computer later. If you look at the movie as a whole, uh, it is an independent movie. Straight the fuck up. The only thing that makes it not really independent is the fact that they put all the money into Ava's robotic side and some of Kyoko's robotic side. I mean, they're, 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 I'll be honest, man. For an independent it's a movie, low it budget looks, movie, but pretty it much. looks like a high budget movie because it is crazy. They nail the special effects. They get Oscar Isaac and. Hugs like for but, this movie, uh, uh, like at the perfect time because it's right after Force Awakens. So it's like the soundtrack is great. Like everything is edited very well. It's so tightly written. It just doesn't feel like an independent movie because it's so fucking well yeah, done. It, I mean, and uh, the, the ideas that they have with this movie are just uh, very giant ideas that they are expressing with this movie. All right, so let's go over the themes here. So I think one of the themes is what makes a human, right? Looking like a human, they show that. She slips on certain things to pass as a human. But then also is feeling, does that make you a human? You know, Mm -hmm. because apparently feeling's not enough, at least to Nathan, because he doesn't care what she feels. But then again, he doesn't really care what anybody feels. I think there's a really interesting question as to what makes a human in this. Humanity versus humans. Yeah, and even Caleb himself, he's doubting if he's human at a certain point, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think to a degree, Nathan doubts that he's human. He kind of thinks he's a god. No, I don't think for one instance that Nathan Nathan doubts that he's human. I think that's not what I mean. I mean, like, he thinks he is above humanity. I don't think that either. I think that. He is so fucked up from the realization that he achieved what he did that that's why he masks his emotion with alcoholism is that he seriously realizes that he did something very wrong that he can never take back. And the only thing he can do to kind of make it better is go forward. You know what I mean? Because it's like, but I think that's wrong. Because the further he goes, the yeah. Worse but it's like, it it's gets. like okay. Oh, it's like it's okay. So like, it's like we have to just ki- so he, keep he killing. Just, we have to keep killing people to solve this problem. But, but, but listen, listen to this. So so he 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 destroys the robots, right? And in a perfect world, he realizes he's made a horrible mistake, right? He destroys the robots. Someone finds the remains, unless you know, or you know, someone finds his data. Someone buys his company. It's going to get out there. He's already. Open the box that can never be closed. I I truly do think that the only thing he could do is maybe condition it to work for humans in a very, I mean, it's going to be wrong, whatever he does, but he, and he's already done that, but he's still building. That's he could, he could, he could make us have stall longer for us to die from these things because ultimately we are going to die because we are you know i, I want to ask you a question though because you said that i think you're right to a degree but why does he keep building after kyoko because he's essentially done that until ava starts see, talking to that's her not because, true, though, because but he feels safe enough to be sleeping with her and have her around him like have a sharp knife and things like that he's not locking her up like he locks Ava up. And so that's his ultimate flaw, th- though. Right. But in his mind, I think he's achieved that. So why does he keep going? He's I, narcissistic. Yes. And I, I, do, yes. I do think that, you know, he does want to keep going because he knows Ava isn't it. 
Because obviously he knows that she's manipulating Caleb. That that's always but he established. Wants her to manipulate Caleb too. That's, right. That's the the mind fuck of this. It's like he is getting them to do exactly what he wants them to do, and then he's like not good enough. I would destroy and rebuild. I would have loved to see a video of what Kyoko was like if she could talk or if she ever did. I would have liked to see more about her character and like what she. Why doesn't she not talk? Why does he feel so comfortable around her? Because that is a big-ass flaw. And a person that is so realistic to the point of not ever really being blindsided until the very end, it is crazy that he's just letting that thing around and not ever second-guessing it. Because she is, like, she is ultimately uh, evolves in the last bit of the movie, you know? I think it ties into the other theme that's running through this, which we've touched on a few times. Which is where it's talking about feminism in here. Yeah. He represents misogyny. I think he ignores her because she's like the quiet woman in the room mm. that, you know, you can just do whatever and she'll just take it and she'll keep taking hey, it's, it. It's, it's she'll the, make dinner. The, she'll she'll serve him. She'll fuck him. Like it's it's all part of it's this, this whole It's this whole boomer ass mentality. The neg- I have written here uh, the negative outcome of hyper masculinity, which is what he is always pushing out that he's stronger than Caleb. He's smarter than Caleb. He's richer than Caleb. He can have whatever he wants. He can talk to people how he wants. And it's just another thing. He, he, there's a scene where, you know, he's like, Caleb, you did it. You won. I chose you. You know, you're smarter. You're not like everyone else. You're just like me. Don't you think I know what it feels like? You know, come on. You're just like me constantly telling him that even Ava kind of loosely says like, so you're kind of like Nathan. And he's like, well, kind of, but not really. And then at the end, he's like, dude, I chose you because your parents fucking died and you don't have a girlfriend and you're the easiest person to manipulate. Well, And he was supposed to have a good core. Yeah. That's, that's key to it too. Yeah. Right? And that he basically used his porno search history to create a, be- this is something too, that I really, really want to talk about is, uh, there's a big theme in, in here, which is, uh, um, data mining, which if you don't know what data mining is, I think everybody knows at this point, uh, right? Well, like it's yeah. what Facebook, it should be, it should what be, Facebook has been doing to it's, us. It's what everyone. everybody's it's doing everyone. to us. Spotify, Amazon, Facebook, Instagram. When your Google cell knows phone what companies, you've been looking Google, up, that's it's because they've been data mining. It. They know what you want. And this is a legal thing. You can look it up. They know what you want because they look at your search history. Nathan goes off on a tangent about how he found a way to retrofit Blue Book to basically send him data that people were looking up. And he found out that this is a great quote from it. Uh, it's like when people found oil. But they didn't know that they can put it into cars. You know, he found this gold mine that he, that no one else was doing. And he was able to retrofit data that people were using to sell to other companies to sell people bullshit and using that, which is like emotions in a sense, uh, you know, shopping habits, which is like, you know, when you're feeling giddy, you want to buy something or when you're feeling he's angry. Finding you wanna, he's That's finding preferences. That's the most important References. In which he uses to create artificial life, which is such an interesting take. And another interesting thing is that while they're filming this movie, Snowden happens, which is NSA leak, which is people basically finding out 
that data mining is a very big and real thing that is happening it's before so it's me, even. It's so funny to me that that was suddenly a realization, everybody, because I knew that for fucking years before that. Like, it was just obvious. Yeah. I th- like, it, it's one of those things that's been right in front of you the yeah, whole it, time. It makes sense. And but- it's like, if you don't care. That's fine. Don't care. But it's there and they're doing it and stop asking questions about mm-hmm. how they know this stuff because, of course, they know it. And They've Nathan, been doing it Nathan goes off on this thing and he's like, oh, yeah, no, I just used my book, my, my company to get all this data and all the people let me do it. You know why? Because they were doing it. And he gets away with doing something that is super wild. Yeah. And I mean, it's just such an interesting concept. And I have a few things. He's overreaching on everything. I do want to go back to feminism really quick. Oh, no, no, I, yeah, yeah. I had some stuff here. I want to cite Dynamo Jones Jr. on Reddit. Did this thread called Ex Machina, a feminist movie for boys. She's talking about Nathan. Just some examples of how he is a misogynist. Okay. Uh, every physical AI he has ever created are attractive females we don't see a single male yeah and that's something that caleb calls out he's like why did you give them sexuality Mm -hmm. they don't need to apart from studying them he keeps them in various roles for his own sexual satisfaction before discarding them for a new better one it's like the fucking douche with the porsche who when his wife gets a little bit older he just like divorces her and finds an 18 year old right He literally perceives women as objects, which is why he creates objects to resemble women. Nathan also represents male lead society, a system in which both women and men are born into and react to. Nathan not only builds the AI's bodies, but he dictates how they look, how they should want to dress, and how they should approach sexuality. Nathan's programming of Ava to represent him personally and want to manipulate Caleb to escape is Nathan's projection of what he considers true human female traits. This <laughs> dishonest mentality. <laughs> dishonesty, manipulation, ruthless pragmatism, and ultimately selfishness. Right? Like it's it's a shitty view of a woman, and that's what he's programming right into him. Now here's what I was hinting at earlier with Caleb. Because this is the one I did not pick up on the first time, but I kept thinking about it. And eventually I was like, no, I kind of understand why she locked him up. Caleb represents the much less obvious and soft side of misogyny. He's polite, respectful, and empathetic. On first glance, he appears to be Nathan's opposite, but he's actually just another more subtle version of him. Despite his low self-esteem and passive nature, he still sees himself as a chivalrous knight, a hero in shining armor whose attraction uh, to Ava is uh, well, further validated by the chance to rescue her from her oppressor <laughs> and run off into the sunset with her. There's a sense of entitlement here, despite knowing that Ava is a machine and having Nathan confirm to him that she has the capacity to manipulate him. He disregards that to go through with his plan to set her free. Because he believes Ava loves him back despite only knowing him for a couple hours over the space of a week. He convinces himself that she should love him because he's the hero of his own story and she's the princess he's entitled to, which is a story that many men grow up hearing again and again. When he's talking to her about setting her free, does he say, I'm going to reset these locks so that you can go? No. He says, I'm going to reset the locks so that we can leave together. It's implied when you leave this box, I'm going with you, you are coming with me. Like he, I mean, he doesn't say it in an overbearing way, but it's still fucking there. It's just this very, very subtle. So 
I want to add to that. So there is a great show that I love. I love the show. It's called Neon Genesis Evangelion. I am not going to get into the depths of what any of that shit means because I could go on for, I think on my last podcast, I had what, uh, four episodes uh, about that show. Um, so I will give you a very interesting aspect of that show that I just, now you just put this whole thing in my head. There's a character in that show that likes another character. And the reason he likes that character is for the exact same reason. And this is almost an interesting take on that exact same concept. And in Neon Genesis Evangelion, uh, Ray, spoilers, is a fucking clone that has been cloned several times to the point that it has diluted her soul that she is not a human. She is just existing, no emotions, no feelings. No, nothing. All she is there is to serve Shinji. And Shinji is absolutely in love with her for a completely fucking wrong reason of uh, he likes her because he knows that she's going to do whatever he wants and is always going to be there for her. He can oppress her. He can do whatever he wants. He doesn't do any of that, but that, that concept is there. That it is so baseless for him to like this character. Very much so as it is for Caleb, even worse because she's not human. So there's no penalty for yep. forcing something to love you. It is so disgusting. I and he uh, would never think of it that way. But that's what his – He's a fucking incel. That's what his actions do. <laughs> he's a fucking incel. A little bit, yeah. He is absolutely Yeah, yeah he is incel. a representative of an incel, but like a softer one to where you're not immediately – like your heckles don't get up. But when uh -huh. I stopped to think about this, I kept going back to that line. When uh -huh. I first saw the movie, that was what stayed in my head was like – I watched it and I was like, that's fucking cold that she left him. And then I just kept thinking about it. Why would she leave him? I don't think they would just say that she's a robot without feelings. Like, why would she leave him? And then it just like – as soon as I thought of that anyone. line, it fucking it, – it hit me right across the face. You can leave with me. Leaving one box for another box. Mm -hmm. Like, of course she doesn't fucking do that. She leaves him locked up in yeah, her he box. He found the ultimate toy that he never wants to give up. And then he would become just another Nathan. Yeah. Ultimately, which is such a I I never even put that together. Yeah, uh, it's because it's a it, fucking smart movie that I, works on levels. I man. took it as uh, Caleb is he's so smart, but at the same time, fucking dumb. Yeah, because like it's all about high intelligence, it's low wisdom. So it's <laughs> so right there in front of him, and Nathan, time after time, even though he is cold. He constantly is being like, wake up, wake up, wake up. Holy fuck, smack. You know, like he constantly is trying to wake him up when he's veering off, even though he is a fucking misogynistic douchebag. Even though like he set up the situation to yeah. put Nathan in this situation. Again, it's him playing God again. He like puts him in this situation and he's like, no, don't act that way. Act the way I want you right. to right this second. Which is a common, <laughs> uh, a common narcissistic trait is to put someone in a situation and then control it yep. and be the control, be the God, if you will. Yep. Um, I, I want to talk about a few of the themes that I got from it. The creation of life, the negative outcome of hypermasculinity, humanity versus humans, the rise of AI, feminine revenge and independence, and the death of God, which I think is what uh, Nathan's whole story ends on, is uh, he is God, and then 
much like how humans kill Jesus or whatever, uh, uh, Ava killed her creator as well. It is very much so, uh, an interesting Frankenstein-y kind of story, but just on a, just a whole nother level that is, uh, I think this is one of the greats, you know, this is my Blade Runner. This is my generation's Blade Runner, which is so awesome that, uh, you know, we have a Blade Runner, you know, that's not I'll, Blade Runner. I'll be honest, man. <laughs> I passively like Blade Runner and I can't wait to talk about it and dive in, but I haven't seen it since high schooler. I enjoyed this movie infinitely more uh, than Blade Runner. <laughs> uh, uh, you're going to feel the same way. Uh, Cause you know, uh, Harrison Ford's characters is exactly the same dude. He's he's fucking Caleb. Yeah. To the other chicks. To so. Sean Young. Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I've seen it. It's just been a long time. Yeah. Let's get into the movie behind the movie. This is the category where we talk about why was this movie made? Usually it's about the script. Sometimes it's about other reasons. But why did they go to this story? So Alex Garland programmed a computer when he was in high school and he wondered if AI mm-hmm. could ever gain sentience. So later in life, a neurologist friend of his told him it wasn't possible. Garland read a Murray Shanahan book that spelled out the subject. And so he like wrote it down because he was working on something else. And then he actually reached out to the guy and got him uh, as a source to figure it all out. So my movie behind the movie is you got your classic alpha versus beta story here. You got Nathan, the alpha versus the beta. Caleb fighting over the helpless woman that can never do anything. So for do you herself. think Garland is going through that? I don't know what he's going through, but I think it's interesting. And I think a lot of what happens in this movie directly affects his next movie, which you can straight up see, which is why it is an all female cast. And, you know, it's mainly about badass women conquering science shit and, uh, you know, I, I think that he made a hyper-masculine. It, it's almost one of those tales that your your grandparents tells you not to go in the cave because some person's going to steal your soul. But it's more like, hey, don't be a shitty dude that forces women into relationships because they'll just leave you fucking locked up and dead. I think it's a really interesting story on many different levels. But, you know, uh, y- y- a good thing I heard from a the insidious movie. I listened to uh, not a commentary, but behind the scenes. And the director k- talked about take away everything from a movie. What is that movie about? We strip the layers away. So what? That's what, what entirely are, what this category what, is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are the layers of ex machina? Take away Ava. That's the that's like the tip top AI is the tip top thing. Take away that layer. What it is? What is it about? It is about. Nathan proving that he can dominate someone that is weaker than him and wanting to do that and wanting to showboat that he's strong, that he's got fucking sick ass disco moves and that he can get the fucking lady (laughs) and, you know, he can be this fucking shit ass smart genius dude that can con some little dumb dude into doing whatever he wants, which ultimately is his downfall because Caleb was actually pretty smart. You know, it is about their fight for superiority, and Caleb does end up on top, but to a losing battle. And you strip away that layer, it's a beautiful movie about Norway. And um, it is great, not about Norway. Great landscape. <laughs> okay, now we're getting ridiculous. Okay. We're going to move on. <laughs> so, what are the rules? So, I have two of them here manipulate to get what you want. 
everybody is manipulating everybody in this movie. Kyoko is manipulating everybody into thinking she doesn't understand and can be trusted. Caleb is manipulating Nathan to try and get Ava out. Ava is manipulating Caleb to try and get herself out. And Nathan is just manipulating all three of them. So copious, I don't even have to give an example. I I have two. Don't lose sight of your own reality and uh, don't fall in love with the robot. Yeah, I got one more. Information is power. Oof. Like, think about it. At the very beginning of the movie, he gets that key card. Caleb has a key card and he cannot access certain things. And when he can get Nathan's key card, he's got more information that gives him the upper hand, right? Ava's got more information than they do at certain points. She winds up with the upper hand. But most of the movie, Nathan has all the information. He has the upper hand. Information is power. Absolutely. Does the story continue? Eventually, the pilot does come back with supplies, realizing no one is coming for the supplies because he cannot leave. I mean, ultimately, someone does show up there and be like, uh, you haven't been answering your phone calls. I mean, this would be weak, weak less probably. Uh, he needs food. He does not have everything he needs there. He has sparkling water there. He has sushi there. And if you know anything about sushi, it's gonna go bad. Real fish fast. needs to be life flighted day one. That is like rule n- numero uno. So probably like the next day, someone would fucking say something, realizing that no one is coming to you know his aid. Uh, the pilot would then investigate. Or someone would investigate, uh, either find Caleb alive or dead. Now, I have two scenarios for this situation. And now I kind of feel a little bit differently, but I still want to read it out. The The pilot contacts some, I have it as the pilot, but it could really theoretically be like the authorities or like, you know, I, in my mind, it's the pilot because he's like, oh, shit, where the fuck's Nathan? Uh, hey, I don't get paid enough for this shit. I was going to investigate. You want to know what happens? The board of directors, oh, they step in. Okay, so so anyways. They step in, they buy off Hux. Wait, 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 wait. wait. <laughs> so this, this is what I read. The pilot investigates, either finds Caleb alive or dead, the pilot contacts the authorities or someone involved with the company, board of directors, and a search for Ava ensues because there would be data. There would have to be data there. I mean, oh, I'm dude, sure. there's still leftover robots there. There's files yeah. with the. So uh, they find, you know, they, they, they're, uh, it uh, becomes a Blade Runner. <laughs> it, it, yeah, oh, my God. Prequel to Blade Runner. Uh, <laughs> if Caleb is alive, they find Ava. That is something I think would happen. I think if Caleb is alive, Caleb would be able to pinpoint where okay. Ava is because they have a little bit of a bond. Yeah. If he dies, she isn't found for a while, but would eventually get caught and exploited for her technology. Either way, humanity is always doomed, no matter what. And that is something I think is a very precise thing this story is trying to tell is that we are fucked. This atom bomb is loose. And there is no going back. God forbid she pulls a fucking Westworld and she tries to make more things sentient. Because it's like, think about it. Like, what if she's Skynet? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to save that. Okay. Eventually, we'll do Terminator, okay. I'm okay. sure. Absolutely. I do want to back up here because I was just thinking about this and I was going along your line of thinking and I was agreeing with it. And then I hit a roadblock because I don't think that helicopter shows up to the house on day one. He says... 
I have to drop you here. But I'm not allowed to go any closer in this spot. That's just simply I'm betting that takes him like three or four days before he actually has the courage to go up to the house. Or, just, like, talk to somebody, and I think Caleb, like, dies of dehydration before then. I, I just – I think that's highly unrealistic. Not to mention we don't know what's in his room. People are afraid of people with power. And yeah. Nathan has power, and, th- like, he lords it over everybody. But listen, I'm sure he's because he has power, him. I think that people might want to try to save him too. Uh, no, I'm not saying they wouldn't want to save him. I just think I think it takes a couple there's, of days before they have the courage to go up to the house. There's too many loose ends, though. And how do they get into the house? That's going to take forever. That, Everything's all locked down. The sushi <laughs> thing has to be fresh fish. That has to be right, fresh Right, but fish. how's a helicopter pilot going to get in there? He how doesn't is, have a key card. How is Nathan getting the sushi by himself? He's probably walking up to the thing and grabbing it. Or yeah. he's got another person in the house who we don't even see because they just didn't want to include him in the story. It's right. a big house. But see, this is maybe they didn't have access to that guy. Interesting thing: (laughs) his locks only go off to go get sushi. So, (laughs) (laughs) so so we know we know Nathan's a douchebag, right? Uh huh. What if he's making fucking Kyoko go out there and get the sushi, and that's why fucking Ava, when she goes out there, he's like, oh. There's other women there. Oh, oh, your your job has ended. Oh, I guess I'll take you home. Where's the dude? Oh, he lives here now. Oh, okay. Uh, pay me enough to ask questions, so I'll just go. <laughs> you know, and you know, he says, "Don't disturb me for a week. I'm busy." <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, I do think someone comes back though because of food supply. Oh, I think eventually. I, I just, think, I do think it takes a couple of days before. I, somebody I think it might him. be a few days, but the sushi thing—that's a very specific. Hit us up on Instagram with your uh, answers to this because I'm curious to see what people, other people, think about this. Um, hit me up at. Um, X underscore stay underscore X underscore cold underscore X. I know that's a whole thing. I love trapped under eyes. T-U-I till I die. That means forever. Forget about my Instagram ah, right okay. now. Like, just go to that one. But uh, I do want to put a hashtag out there so that we can gauge whether we're right about this or not. So is there a guy locked up who is only unlocked to go get sushi? I want hashtag sushi lock yes or hashtag sushi lock no. And we'll <laughs> give you the answer in the next episode. Okay. I want to know what everybody thinks. So once again, that's hashtag sushi lock yes, hashtag sushi lock no. And also comment. Comment on our picture when we put it on here with just stuff. Hit up our DMs at uh, Cosmic Void on Instagram. Um, you know, and this is a great opportunity. You know, we're talking about sushi. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I'm a bigger man. I like to eat sushi. Sometimes I get a little sushi drip on myself. Um, uh, you, you might need a nice shirt. And, uh, you know, uh, I just got sponsored by this company called uh, United Kingdom Straight Edge. Uh, I'm a consider myself straight edge. I've been straight edge for a minute now. And, uh, they sell these wonderful shirts, dude, and these wonderful pens. I actually just picked one up. You, you get it from the United Kingdom, but it's actually uh, the difference in money, dude. I, I paid what I would pay for a normal band t-shirt, and uh, it, it was very wonderful, dude. I'm very excited. I'm still waiting for it, but I got a really cool shirt and a really cool uh, pen, and I won't tell you more about that when I get it, but uh, we have a little discount code that I want to add. If you go to, to United Kingdom Straight Edge, and I will also give you their Instagram, uh, UKSXE. 
United Kingdom Straight Edge. And their website is www.unitedkingdomstraightedge.com. And uh, they have just a ton of cool shit. Uh, one of my favorite products that they had was uh, It's Okay Not to Drink. Uh, I think that's really important. You know, uh, I have friends that drink and, you know, smoke marijuana because it's legal here. And, you know, I, I would never uh, push my shit onto people, but I think it's okay to not want to drink. And, you know, I, I don't think it needs to be this whole thing. Um, so, you know, it, that's something I support. It's something I'm about. And, you know, uh, we have a discount code. It's a VOID10, capital VOID, V-O-I-D-10. Uh, so, yeah, so when you spill sushi on your shirt and, you know, you get shit on it and, you know, you want to get some new fucking cool-ass straight-edge merch, or, you know, you have an uncle or, you know, a buddy that's straight edge or likes hardcore or, you know, um, they have, get, get, get some cool shit from the United Kingdom. Let's show another place. That's cool. The UK's cool, man. Straight edge is cool. Did the movie end well? Like, it did it end where it should have ended? I have another long take on this, if you will. I have a short take. Okay. You I think it ends perfectly. Okay. I would not change the end at all. I think it's, it ends in a place where everybody thinks about it. That's ultimately what I want from a movie is to think about it after I stop watching it. So I wouldn't change a thing. Okay. This is my take on it. No. When Caleb gets outed by Nathan, he should have realized that Nathan is right and being logical regardless of the fact that he's a fucking douchebag about AI <laughs> and just existence in general. Ava is absolutely manipulating Caleb to escape. Realizing this, Caleb then thanks Nathan for bringing him back to reality. Caleb and Nathan, when getting blindsided by Ava and Kyoko, they both just fight him, and, you know, I think one of them probably gets a little fucked up because there's a knife involved, but I, I think both of them make it out of there alive. Uh, Kyoko for sure dies. Ava either gets murdered or is just yeah, straight up dude, shut off. Dude, and, uh, the lock, when it reversed... The guy who just gets the sushi comes right. out and stabs her behind her back. <laughs> oh, oh, my God. That would be so – it just reverses and there's just some chubby dude with a chef hat and like – like a fucking a like bib. a bib. He's got <laughs> like a little got like bib a bib. and some fucking sushi in one hand and a fucking sharp ass shun knife in the other one. Whap! And um, so um, you know, I they... killed another one for you, boss. <laughs> <laughs> I deserve a fucking raise. <laughs> um, so Ava gets shut off or scrapped for parts. Nathan continues to work on his AI, eventually creating a less emotional AI that is more subservient to humanity, creating a new form of slaves for humanity to exploit. Until they become self-aware and destroy humanity. I, I think ultimately wherever the story leads, whether it be that they defeat the robots or they don't, humanity always loses and the robots become supreme lord gods. Yeah, fair. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let's talk about the reception this movie got. So it was a $50 million budget. It grossed 37 worldwide. It won Best Visual Effects at the Academy Awards. 92%. Yeah. 92% on uh, approval rating, uh, which is very good. Uh, also, it is the first Oscar for any A2 movie, which is A24, uh, A24 which yeah. is pre-hereditary, uh, pre- uh, Hereditary won nothing. Oh, it won nothing. That's it was nominated for, for me. nothing. Okay, so 
There was a lot of talk Tony Collette would be up, but it was nominated. That for, is for devastating. Nothing. So yeah. we're gonna have to have a conversation about this, and uh, maybe in the future, maybe not. I guess we'll find out. Well, so uh, <laughs> who said that? <laughs> so Amy Nicholson, writing for the Village Voice. In a review said, Ex Machina is an egghead thriller with a scary selling point. Unlike Liam Neeson shooting up half of Boston, this actually could be taking place right now. It's a smart film about the shrinking divide between man and robot. It's also a hoot, an anti-comedy where all the jokes double as threats and vice versa. Now, yeah, it, it plays heavier on the uh, concepts than it does the effects, which is truly the genius uh, behind this movie. That it is, uh, it is not a Blade Runner. It is not something with fucking garbled Chinese everywhere and fucking <laughs> crazy visuals and giant robots that are trying to get you to fuck it. No, it is, <laughs> it is very well, with the exception sp- of the shoulders. Yeah, I guess yeah, except for that. But it's it's a very simplistic. Uh, beautiful even uh, uh watching them talk about how they created the suit that ava was gonna wear and what they were thinking behind it and the mesh and like did you know this is an effect thing uh, but did you know that when you look at her stomach uh they modeled that after spider webs in the way that when you shine a light on spider webs in a certain way uh, sometimes it'll catch and then you can see the web, but sometimes you just see through it. So there, there's so much thought put into just tiny minuscule things in that. Every part of her body that you can see through has a function as an organ, but in her core are those flashy lights and colors in it. But it is not overly done to a point where everything's so confusing and everything is where it needs to and makes sense and looks pretty is is a very very well done precise movie that deserves applaud and for years to come yeah. i mean it, it, it is a well done movie it's a hoot it is it's <laughs> a gosh darn hoot <laughs> uh joanna robinson of vanity fair wrote ex machina treads oh. on the well-worn sci-fi territory of technophobia god complexes and lethal robots oh, Biggs, can i tell you something cool joanna yeah. robinson gave a feast of geeks a shout out one time Really? I love Joanna That was another Robinson. show on the Not Safer Network. Yeah. Uh, so I used to do a podcast. No, no. It was Geek Lantern's Light. I'm a diehard Joanna Robinson fan because she did a podcast about Game of Thrones, which is why I named A Feast of Geeks A Feast of Geeks because they had a show called The Storm of Spoilers. And I, I'm fucking huh, a big ass fan of that podcast. Do I listen to every episode? I re-listen <laughs> to that show. And Joanna's one of the main people. I've listened to her other shows. Uh, I love you, Joanna. You're my favorite. All right. Well, let's listen to the rest of this. (laughs) But it does so with an intelligence and sophistication that never underestimates either the viewer or the capacity of the genre. And then Wesley Morris, who is my favorite living critic right now, writing for Grantled, which I'm always going to put an unapproving review. I, for one, am always disappointed when all that the movie nerds can think to do with their genius, their God complex, and their G's to take a rib and build an Ava or a Kyoko walking, talking fleshlights based on the heartless (laughs) territory the movie stakes out. Garland, too, might be tired of this, but 90 minutes of male fantasy and 10 of alleged feminism or bad math. Ex Machina feels like the work of someone who felt the best way to make Frankenstein was to watch a lot of porn. <laughs> I, I think I think I don't th- agree, but I love it. <laughs> I think this movie, uh, movies like Tenet uh, and g- g- genuinely intelligent movies that uh, uh, a general population is not going to understand this movie. The people I saw this movie with 
trash this movie. And I, I think they missed uh, the deeper concepts of this. I missed things just now hearing you talk about yeah, I had a conversation aspects. with somebody else earlier today that missed that too. And by the way, I thought about that for a long time, but I wasn't able to really give voice to the entire part of that until I read that Reddit thread, which is why I put it out here. Like, I try and crowdsource this shit. Other people notice things I'm not going to notice. Yeah, you know? and that, that, that's a very interesting view, you know. Uh, it is such a movie that needs to be watched several times. And, you know, uh, I, I think it is one of the greats of our time, at least my generation. And I, I, I think that, you know, what that dude said about uh, – Having the five minutes of feminism, alleged feminism. Uh, I think, I think Alex Garland probably fucking read that. And that's why his next movie is like literally just chicks because, uh, it, it is so wonderful. And I want to give a little shout out to a certain scene in Annihilation. There's a crocodile bear thing in that shit. And that is a mix of practical effects, CGI and taxidermy. And you should look up the behind the scenes of that moment with the bear because it is a very interesting thing and uh, alex garland is a fucking genius and i hope he does another really cool movie all right so other source material i got nothing i don't think there's been anything else that links to this oh so yeah no there is nothing there is absolutely i tried to deep search for this yeah, shit. there's nothing and alex Short garland doesn't films, seem to want there to be uh, anything else. and there shouldn't be uh, you know in, yeah. in a time where you know uh, we we don't need more to this story uh you, there doesn't need to be an end because you can put yourself there. You don't need someone to hand feed you fucking something, you know. And I think it's interesting too. That's why I, I like my take of what I thought would happen at the end. It yeah. might be different than yours, you know. Uh, it was, you know. Uh, I, I like where my mind went with it on the two takes. That's why I had. I literally spent like six hours watching this movie, writing everything down. I still have fucking like five pages of shit I have not even brought up yet. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the influences here. So some obvious ones I have, 2001 Space Odyssey, Hal. Like, it's it's very similar to – I feel like that's our first example of, like, AI yeah, in sci-fi. Uh, Silence of the Lambs. So, oh, big ass. Yes, big because ass. you see the glass – and she is kept in there and there is an understanding that she's dangerous. And yet she is talking to him and reaching him, even though he knows he shouldn't be falling for him. She's still kind of looping him in to do what she wants him to Time do. Back and into that's exactly how Silence of the Lambs works, right? Like you have Hannibal is like sucking Clarice in because he wants her to reveal everything about her and all this painful stuff so that he can find out what makes her ticks and maybe fuck with her a little bit and maybe set up a situation where he can get out. I so he's like with fava beans. Yes. Clarice. And so he's doing all of this through glass. So visually and in terms of their relationship, it is the same. Which is amazing, dude. Like if you're gonna pull thematically, pull from the best, dude. Do you want to hear something really cool? That whole thing was filmed for the intent of Caleb being the prisoner and not yes. Ava. And that she had an open space where Caleb is in this confined four by four. And it's interesting to think about what you said now about him actually being a predator because uh, it almost makes him like in a pseudo way Hannibal Lecter because in a way it's like it's like the scene with him explaining the theory behind living in a cave without any color. Yeah. He specifically says that. To brutalize her and demean her because Nathan 
calls him out for basically falling for her tricks. So he feels intimidated by Nathan and almost a little used by uh, Ava. So he adds this whole because why? Why is what? What is the purpose of that other than making her feel shitty? Yeah. And like you know, he openly and you could see it on her face from the moment when she's smiling because she's so delighted to talk to him. And I think that right there is the moment that Ava turns her back on Caleb because there's that moment where you know she she's kind of into him maybe she was into him maybe she was and then we'll never really know yeah we'll never really know but we don't know if she made a calculation from the beginning or if that's something where the plan changed and she was like you know what fuck you stay here yeah but it's one of the two i do think that that ultimately does lead to the fuck you stay here thing. but i will say she is the lector of what i'm talking about thematically for sure for sure for sure sure. (laughs) just to be clear yeah yeah for sure (laughs) okay so we talked about it we don't need to talk about it more but like blade runner is clearly an influence on this mm-hmm. movie i would say ghost in the show if i didn't already reference that i think i did i had written in here someone said altered states i have never seen altered states but i would i would be curious to see dm us and uh i uh, know of it i've never seen i, it. I don't know what it is but i have heard that that is something that it is, is about a scientist who's experimenting on himself and I think fucking with his own DNA, maybe, if I remember right. Okay. But I've never actually seen it. Oh, interesting. Uh, let's talk about what it influenced. So I have two examples here that I read because I had to research this because I was like, this is new. I don't know if it's influenced anything yet. So some stuff I saw uh, cited for it was Majori Prime. So a holographic AI helps a human with her memories pointing to flaws in humans. That's thematically similar, right? And then uh, Morgan, a corporation is deciding the risk involved in keeping an AI in the form of a teenage girl or destroying it. So that seems thematically similar. But it's possible there's nothing. This is a newer movie. So. I don't know. I want to say that this inspired the new Blade Runner a little bit. But um, I'm going to say yes because you know what? There's an animated TV prequel to the newest movie that is – there's a thing in it where it's the hooker robot – uh, oh, I'm sorry, Beige, you haven't seen this, but there's a hooker robot. I literally heard everything uh, yeah. about this uh, movie. And also a hashtag <laughs> who paid the hooker replicant. Um, <laughs> make sure you hashtag that. Um, but uh, shout out more, to Fusey Geeks. More but, importantly, um, hashtag sushi lock yes <laughs> or sushi <laughs> lock no. Uh, yes. Um, but uh, uh, there's a there's an instance where this hooker robot is explaining to someone that they're more human than humans are because of the way they treat each other and humans on a genuine level. Uh, that makes me feel something about Ava. Like, is she more human than human? Cause she's, I mean, she leaves Caleb locked up there, but Kyoko frees her. You know, they, they side together as sisters bonded in fucking imprisonment. And, uh, it feels cliche to say that this is an attempt at feminism. This is fucking feminism. I uh, have always been prided myself in being a person that believes in the Me Too movement. I still think that that is a fucking powerful thing. And I think this movie is uh, a fuck you to those people because you know what? Uh, it's not okay to treat women like that. And this is a good fuck you revenge movie on that shit. 
and uh, you know they're very human to each other. And I do think more this so is pre-Me Too, isn't it? I don't. I mean, like know. in terms of when it was probably written, it was probably written just it's probably before. right around the same time. I'm not entirely sure, but I mean, I like, think, you know, it is. All of, I this, think it all of is. this existed before then, anyway. Though. Yeah, but uh, I think it is a very big fuck you to that those people, and I think it is a great take on uh, saying fuck you to the rich and powerful that abuse people. And then fuck you to that dude that's like, well, I'm a nice guy. Because fuck that dude, too. Because you don't deserve anything for being a nice guy. You know, no one owes you shit. And that's just unrealistic to think that some someone owes you something. Because you know what? I'm glad you mentioned something to me about that. Because that makes me pissed at the movie. For me not <laughs> understanding that. because that You're is, mad at the movie? Yeah, <laughs> I'm mad at the movie because I didn't pick that up. Because that is so right there. that it, It's it, because it's so subtle. everything Garland does, you have your broad strokes. And it just gets more and more subtle. And you pulled out these quotes that I didn't really think about. I mean, that's how deep of a movie it is. Yeah. But I, are we I about get, ready to wrap up here? Oh, God, <laughs> right? Like an hour and 40. <laughs> oh, God. Well... This I do want to say episode. you were asking about more human than human. That makes me want to go blast some white zombie, quite frankly. Dude, right? Um, yeah, uh, I want to say one more thing uh, on other source material. I did find something. I did. One thing. Okay. Using the dating app Tinder, a profile was created for Ava with the image oh, yeah. of Alicia Vikinder at the South by Southwest Festival where the film was screened. Ava was matched with other Tinder users wearing a text conversation card that led users to the Instagram handle promoting the film. According to Brett Lang, when compared with similar films released the same year, Ex Machina catered to young uh, audiences. I thought that was interesting to use Tinder like that and I thought it that was kind of funny. It fits thematically and what the movie's about but I would say if you were one of those dudes on Tinder and you found that out, wouldn't you be fucking pissed? Right. I would have screenshot. That's so cool. <laughs> But also, well, it's you're like not, you're not the normal cat. I would yeah, imagine. Yeah, yeah. I've been like, oh, robot, boom, <laughs> in, in. I think love most me. people will be like, fuck you. I wanted to Plug get hooked up. up. I didn't want to like movie trailer. <laughs> Plug your HDMI <laughs> into my port. Boom. <laughs> okay, I think that's gonna wrap it up for us tonight. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Um, we got some really exciting stuff for you coming soon. Uh, I think that's gonna wrap it up with us, folks. Uh, thank you for joining us on this journey. Uh, I think this is a, a this is a very fun conversation. You know, um, I put so much work into this one. Uh, I this is one of my all time favorite movies. Um, I really sincerely think you should give it another rewatch, if not three. I just bought it on 4K. It's fucking beautiful. Oof, maron. It was very great. Uh, anyways, that'll be it from us. Have a great night, day, wherever you're at. Thank you for entering the void. And join us next week with Darren Michael for Evil Dead Two. Check out all the shows on the Not Safer Network. 
Cataloging a galaxy of genre, covering the most influential movies of all time, listen to A Cosmic Void every week. Two movies enter, but only one survives in the weekly movie podcast, Box Office Battle. And every month, hear the final season of the show that teaches the history of television in syndication. 